into John chapter 15. Before I go there, I want to give you a backstory, but I also want to give you a simple lesson on how many books there are in the Bible. I'm not going to ask because I'm concerned that some of you may fail the quiz. <laughs> Spoken like a true teacher. There are 66 books in the Bible. The Bible is an authority. It's the only book written by God. The only book written by God. And in it, what he does is he reveals himself in the Old Testament. He reveals himself in the New Testament. Before Christ and after Christ's birth, he continues to reveal who he is to us. His love, his mercy, his compassion, his kindness, his finished work. There's this arc narrative that starts from Genesis and works his way through Revelation. And everywhere you look, God is working. God is moving. God is on the move. He's doing something because it's important for us to realize that this is not just words on a page. If you approach it that way, then you're going to think that it's like any other book, and it's not. When God speaks to us through his word, it's important for you to understand that you don't come here to listen to man. You come here to listen to God. It is the pastor's and preacher's responsibility to deliver the message of God to the people. I liken myself to a waiter more than a chef because I'm not here to prepare the meal. I'm here to deliver the meal and hope I don't trip in delivering it. So it's important that we understand that when we speak, when we open up the word of God, it's not me speaking. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to, to dance on stage. I'm, I'm here to bring you the word of God because it's important that when he speaks, you listen. Why? Because everything we need to know is here. So as we move into chapter 15 in John, there is a backstory that you have to understand. Because what happens is if we read and we begin to hear things like, oh, this and that, and I can't make, what is that word? And what is this? And we want to help you to understand it because only when you understand it does it become relevant to you, and only then can you live it out. Otherwise, it's like, oh, man, that was great. You see the color of his jacket? It was blue. It's all you focused on. So, so it's important for us to, you know, tune in, lean in. We always say that, right? Lean in and be attentive to what God has to say to you because it's vital for us as believers and for those who are still kicking the tires, for those who are still on the outskirts. You need to get closer. So, so what happens here as we go into chapter 15, from between chapter 13 and chapter 16, we find ourselves on this Thursday night, Passion Week. It is literally the last night in which Jesus is going to be doing ministry because he is about to be betrayed and crucified. He, he meets with his uh, disciples in this secret place. We call it the upper room. And it's there that he sits for a meal and it's called the Passover. They prepare the Passover. And by the way, a lot of us refer to it as the Last Supper because after that, he wasn't going to eat any more supper until later on. He appears on the shore and, you know, as the story goes on and on, he sits with them and he, he eats with them. But it's called the Last Supper because we're going to partake in the communion in a little while. That Last Supper literally becomes the first communion because he begins to teach them. And while he's there with them, there are several things he do. First, he exposes the traitor. Among him, among the guys that are with him, there's a guy called Judas, and he exposes him, and then he dismisses him. And Judas leaves, and Judas, we know where he goes. He's arranging the arrest and the crucifixion of our Jesus Christ. Now, hold on to that, because it's very important that you understand J Judas was among them. 
So now he's telling them all these stories. He's making them many promises, and he's telling them wonderful things. And by chapter 15, they're no longer in the upper room. How do I know? Because chapter 14 ends with telling them, arise and let us go from here. And begin this walk through Jerusalem out the east gate. He's heading to this garden where he is going to pray the most agonizing prayer he has ever prayed. So much so that his blood, you know, his sweat would appear like blood. His droplets of blood from his forehead were so agonizing. Why? Because he knew what was coming. He knew that he was about to die. Before death, he had to deal with the brutality of the beating. He knew this. So they go to this, as, as they walk into this garden, he now is still teaching. He's still talking. And as they begin to enter this garden, if you know anything about garden, it's always flourishing with you know, stuff that's growing. And it's in this that he says these words. Chapter 15. Verses 1 through 8 are the most definitive thing that he says. Watch this. As he's walking with them, he establishes this word picture. And he says this. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you, unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Turn to your neighbor and say, prove it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> this analogy, this, this word picture, it is summed up in the final sentence. The final sentence says, My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is about a vine and branches and fruit bearing that proves someone to be a true disciple. And this is about the true nature of genuine salvation. But before we do that, we have to be able to look at this text and be able to see what he's saying about himself. Before we jump into the true nature of salvation, which, by the way, is summed up in verse 8, again, that you may bear much fruit so that you can prove that you're my disciples. Amen? Everybody's following that? Good. So, so, so what happens here is, before we move into that nature of genuine salvation, because that's what this is, it's about genuine salvation. If I've accepted Christ, am I bearing fruit? Is there evidence of my walk with God? Is, is there evidence? Is there newness of life? I had a conversation uh, with some men the other day, and I said, are there any used-to-be's 
in your life. What do I mean by that? I used to do this, but now I do this. Right? Are there any used to be in your life? Amen? So, so, so first thing I want to look at is, it says in verse 15, chapter 1, I am the true vine. Now, you hear this I am constantly in John. It, it, it is Jesus himself proclaiming one thing and one thing only. And that is that he is God. Everybody's like, this is so significant for us to understand because this term, I am, is one of the names of God. Well, how do I know this? Because in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 16, Moses, when he is having this burning bush experience and he goes before God to, re to receive his charges, right? And, and, and to go forth to do what God wants him to do, he says this, and Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me. Now, if you look at John, throughout John, Jesus says all these I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Now, now, anytime you hear the true vine, in my mind, I'm thinking, there must be someone who's a false vine. That there must be a defective vine. And you have to understand, as he's speaking to them and as he's t telling them these things, he, he's making them aware, again, of what it looks like to be a disciple. Make no mistake, this is about the vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. And there are two kinds of branches, and we see it in the upper room. In that upper room, there were two types of branches in that room. Judas and that disciples. Now, it's significant you understand because it's possible. Because even the disciples were confused when he says, one among you is going to trade me. They were like, is it me? Is it me? <laughs> like they had no clue why. Because Judas never appeared to be a traitor. Now, you're not listening. He never appeared as if he was a branch that was not bearing fruit. Is it possible for you to be attached to Jesus by mere profession of salvation yet bear no fruit? Is it possible that you're sitting in this room having said yes to Jesus Christ, but yet have not shown any fruit? It's important that you understand it. And I have a word picture for you that a famous artist has drawn for me. Okay? And you guys don't laugh. This is not funny. It's not me. That's for sure. Is it possible that divine being Christ, and if you're listening, you can't see this. I have a picture of a vine and branches. Is it possible that we're attached to this vine? 
which is Jesus Christ. Is it possible that I walk around saying I am a Christian, yet I am bearing no fruit that's evident of that attachment to the vine? Is that possible for us? And if so, what can I possibly do about it? You have to understand that there was a defective vine, and when he's speaking to them, they know this. By the way, every time he said, I am, it drove people crazy. More and more, they wanted to crucify him because he's making himself equal with God. Every time he says, if you've seen my father, you've seen him. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. I don't here to do my work. I do the work that he sent me to do. He begins to paint himself on an equal plane with God, and the Israelites only said, behold, of Israel, or God is one. That's it. They don't want to hear about anything else. So every time he said this, they kind of gnashed their teeth, and they continued to want to kill him. Like, I don't know about you, but I would have stayed quiet after a while. But Jesus wasn't here to win a popularity contest. He was here, first of all, to tell the truth. And what he did was he revealed to Israel themselves, because a lot of people think that, especially then, because I'm a son of Abraham, I'm guaranteed this. And a lot of us assume, well, I'm saved. I said yes to Jesus. That's all I got to do. I don't got to do it. I'm attached to the vine. I don't have to do anything else. Well, that's not what the text tells us. This is the true nature of salvation. It says, prove to be my disciples. How? That you bear much fruit. If you're curious about the fruit, we find in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 25, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, singular. It is the transformation of our lives. You know, understanding what love is. Understanding how unconditional it is. Now, guys, we're not dead, so don't say amen, glory to God. None of us in this room have learned to love unconditionally. Only God loves unconditionally. You know, my, my, my wife once, you know, asked me, why do you love me? And, you know, guys, just so you know, that's a setup. <laughs> I, I, want you, I, I, want you to, I want you to know that it's a setup. But me being a pastor of my home and having read some scripture and having read a couple of books, I said, I love you for no reason. That's always, outside of Jesus, that's always the answer, guys. <laughs> All right? But, but we're not there yet. There's a lot of conditions in our lives, right? If you do this for me, I do that for you. You know, we're caught up in that because society has always been about exchange. And when God pours out his love and then does this, he doesn't want. Right? So, so it's important for us to understand that we, the nature of genuine salvation is to bear fruit. We understand the deity of Christ. We understand that he is who he says he is, but he reveals this defective vine, and Israel is that defective vine because some people thought that because I'm sons of Abraham, I'm excluded for anything that may happen. In fact, I am sealed. I am blessed. So he revealed to them that no longer, that's why he says I am the true vine because they linked their blessings directly to being children of Abraham. And he says, no, no, no. Your blessing doesn't come from Abraham. It comes from me. It comes from me. How do I know that it's defective vine? Because in Isaiah, the prophet speaks, he says this to them. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones, and he planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as a well. God planted Israel. 
as this vine in the world so that they can bear fruit. And throughout the Bible, we see them walk and move in disobedience. We watch them reject God and want to follow other things, and we refer that to idolatry. So it's impossible to be attached and not bear fruit. He goes on to say, then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. This is what he's trying to tell the people. I am the true vine. Israel has been defective. I am the only one that you'll be blessed from. You glean from me. You abide in me. You remain in me. And you will bear much fruit. It's important for us to understand that because as we move closer and closer through this text, we understand two things. One is there's a branch that doesn't bear fruit and gets cut off and thrown. It dries up. And, and, and so it's important for us to understand now, you know, many people think that this means that, you know, uh, you get to lose your salvation. That's not what the Bible teaches us. Jesus himself prays what you have given me, I'm not, I'm not going to lose. So if you come to Christ, it's important that you understand that you're saved, but it's also important for you to understand that in this text, you're saved for what? And what are you saved for? Like, I've been on many bedsides where people are taking their last breaths, and that's always my concern about their eternity. So I try to walk them through this understanding, and hopefully they get it and they're able to say yes with their last breaths. But that's not your excuse. You've been saved for what? That's not your scenario. Although tomorrow is not guaranteed, but now that you're saved, now that you said yes to Jesus, the text tells us that the nature of true salvation is what? My father is glorified by this. How do I glorify my father? That you bear much fruit, and this is what proves that you're my disciple. Now, he is a true vine, and he goes on to say, okay, so this branch that doesn't bear fruit, it could be that maybe there's Christians who still struggle with their faith still struggle with false beliefs, still struggle with, man, I don't, I don't believe in this God. I just pointed to you that Jesus is God. I can go on and on and on and let you see that Jesus himself is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one moving on your behalf, shaking things up, empowering you to become the person that you need to be. I can't do this on my own. I don't know about you, but I've tried. I've tried to be nice and to be good. <laughs> I just couldn't. Because there's a sin nature in us. And that's why the Bible says you must be born again. There has to be something that happens in you as a direct result of you coming to Christ. So we have this branch that what happens now doesn't bear fruit. What does it do? The vine dresser, who is God, comes in, takes a look, and removes it. False belief leads us to wanting to live our own way. False belief leads us to making assumptions that God is too far to care for my life. Not true. God is near. God is present. God is for you and with you. And he goes before you. And he puts a hedge around you. God doesn't slumber or sleep even when you do. 
God doesn't rest. The Sabbath wasn't made for God. It wasn't made for Jesus. That's why they got upset when he was working on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a reminder that we need to find the rhythms of life in which we can rest because as human beings, we're frail. And I don't know about you, but if I don't get rest, I get ornery. And, and, and then people use the excuse, leave me alone, I haven't had my coffee yet. Like, is coffee a magic elixir? <laughs> You're halfway through your cup, leave me alone, I haven't finished it. Right? Like, it's supposed to change you automatically. No, the only one that does change us is Jesus Christ. And the power of his Holy Spirit leading us as we walk. Now, it says, the one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. Now, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you. Now, this act of the vine dresser, what is it that God does to help us to bear fruit? What is it that he does to help us to bear more fruit? Because it says that even the branch that is bearing fruit, the vine dresser comes and looks at it and removes the superfluous stuff. Right, the stuff that doesn't matter. If anybody ever plants and you look at it, right, and you have a leaf that doesn't look too good, you kind of take it away, you kind of nip it away, you kind of stir up the soil, whatever it is to help it to grow. Now, this pruning process is a big deal. It's painful. In order to get you to bear much fruit, there's a pruning process that has to happen. God has to pinch. And what he uses is a knife to cut away things. Now that hurts, doesn't it? And what does he use in your life to get you to bear much fruit? Like James talked about, you know, uh, uh, to count the joy when you're going through trials and tribulations. Right? He, he talks about how God is going to use the circumstances of our lives to cut away, to prune, to nip. A lot of times we find ourselves in those moments, you who are bearing fruit, and you're saying, oh, my God, you know, why is this happening to me? I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm pushing in. I'm pressing in. I'm bearing fruit. And God is saying, I know. But there's still some distractions in your life. There's still some things that you're reaching for. There's a certain character that you're exhibiting and a certain conduct that you're participating in. And I need to cut away. The Bible clearly states that this cutting away is already being done in our lives. If you're listening to God's word, if you're walking in obedience to his word, the pruning is happening. How do I know? Because the word is like a two-edged sword. Cuts going in, cuts coming out. And I encourage you to realize in the midst of what's going on in your life, as you are attached to the vine and not bearing fruit, there's a reason for that. 
You see, you're not allowing him to work in your life. You're coming upon situations, and the first thing you're saying is, why is this happening to me? I would ask you to say, God, thank you for allowing this in my life. And you look at me and say, Pastor, you're sick. <laughs> I've been there. I've resisted, and I've obeyed. Resisting is more painful than obey. So what we want is for you to bear much fruit. Much fruit. I'm going to frame this. He is the vine. We are the branches. Without him, we can bear no fruit. There's no way that I can be kind on my own. There's no way that I can love on my own. There's no way that I can be gentle on my own. There's no way that I can do the things he's asking me to do if I don't abide and remain in him. Your Christian character, your conduct, and your witness is so vital to you bearing fruit. It's so vital. I want us just for a moment to think, where are the places that God is pruning me? Where are the places that God is trying to get me to allow him to take those things from my life? I don't know what's vying for your attention. I don't know what you're involved in. He knows, and you know. You could be attached to Christ and not necessarily do anything with your life. And that in itself be a shame. God, God doesn't save us. He doesn't light a light in us to put it under a lampstand. He puts it out here so that we and the world can see by your witness and testimony and that you bear fruit and that because of your testimony others will begin to draw near and ask. The vine sustains. The vine provides the nutrients we need to bear fruit. Where else would I go? I pray that these words have fallen on good ground because there's something you have to decide. Am I merely attached to Christ by my confession of faith or is my faith now demonstrating it by works? Works don't save us, but faith propels us to move, to serve, to care, to love, to extend our hands, to use our feet, to use what God has given us for the edification of the church, but most importantly, to carry the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to thank George for the art. I want to thank George for the art. I came to him with this idea, and I was like, George, you need to flesh this out for me. You know, I sent him a picture, and he was like, I got this. <laughs> and uh, he's one of the few people that I believe when he says I got it. <laughs> a lot of people tell me, I got it, I got it, and I'm like still waiting for that. But George has always been faithful in that respect, and I want to thank him for that. Because I think that a word picture carries, right, like there's a thousand words. I could speak to you, but these pictures will stay with you. 
And it's so important for us to understand, listen, I want to bear fruit. And it's painful sometimes when God begins to cut away. But I also know the danger of allowing those superfluous, unnecessary things to creep into my life to choke away the ability for me to grow, to bear fruit. I'll leave you with the last line. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy.